0: Welcome back to Blockchain Insider. I'm Simon Taylor and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Kai Sheffield, head of crypto at Visa. How are you doing, Kai? Good
1: morning. I am excited to learn today. This is a fantastic topic. I don't know much about it, so we've got some great guests to educate us.
0: Oh my goodness, Dewey, and of course, yes, the topic is DAOs. After a resurgence in 2020, DAOs have grabbed headlines left and right. So what are they? Why should you be paying attention? How does it work? What is it? A novelty? Is there something lasting here? There are so many questions, as you say, so I'm excited to learn. And in the words of Kathy Hackle, can you imagine a way of organizing with other people around the world who don't know each other, and establish their own rules to make their own decisions autonomously, and they encode as much of this as possible on a blockchain. Well, DAOs are potentially making that real. To dig into this, we are joined by some incredible guests. Starting off with Jess Loss, who's instigator at Seed Club, social token incubator. Welcome to the show, Jess. Can you tell uh, people about yourselves and a little bit about Seed Club?
2: Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. C-Club is a DAO that builds and invests in communities with tokens. Uh, we were you know, DAO since day one and helped bring more DAOs ultimately into the world. Uh, I think our insight is that communities are the natural way that human beings have organized on the internet for decades now, uh, but that there's just been some missing pieces. And those pieces, we believe, are solved by Web3 technology. So the ability to have a shared bank account and a shared cap table and, and this thing that can, uh, you know, tokens ultimately that allow individuals to coordinate together towards some bigger goal. So we're very excited to see the resurgence and expansion in, in the DAO space over the last few months. And uh, I think people will be uh, talking about it for many years to come. And alongside Jess, we have Kyla Scanlin, who's a
1: creator and investor. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell the listeners a little about you?
3: Yeah, yeah. So I am a financial content creator. So I have a Substack where I talk about sort of the intersection between finance and crypto. And then I make TikTok videos, which is what I'm probably most well known for, where I break down different concepts in short form video format. Um, and then I also have a couple other media arms, including a podcast um, in my Twitter account. So I think of myself as an educator. So I try to explain concepts like DAOs to my audience, as well as other like market topics, like what goes on with the Federal Reserve, et cetera.
0: Awesome. Great to have you all on board. Let's get started. Yeah, so we're going to start off at the very beginning. We're going to go down the the rabbit hole as we go along. So, Kai, I'm going to put you on the spot first. What's your understanding of what a DAO is like? And then let's see if we can get you graded. Um, You know, Rob Leshner gave me a B-minus on my DeFi. Um, (laughs) So I want to see what you got from the the panel here uh, on your DAO definition.
1: Yikes. This is going to be terrible, but I'm going to do my best here. So I'm going to try and break it down word by word. So I'm going to say, okay, decentralized. I think about that as no single individual or entity owns or controls it. And then autonomous, I think about, you know it's almost like it's, it's like an organism that evolves over time in nature. It could be based upon technology where it's automated or it could not be, not really clear why autonomous is in there. And then organization, I think about a group of people with some shared principle or purpose that are getting together to organize you know, for that purpose. And so even after <laughs> dividing all those words, it's still not clear to me how does that actually come together and what about it is actually autonomous. It feels like self-organizing might be a better term than autonomous, but let me stop there of like someone, Jess, can you help me of just, what is a DAO other than these three odd words defined together?
2: I don't think de <laughs> would, would self-organizing, just doesn't fit in there with quite the same sort of ring as uh, autonomous. So yeah, I think you did a great job in, in explaining it. Um, and I think the, the reality is that the DAO as a term is just so broad and it's applied in so many different ways that it's maybe only going to be effective right now and sort of signaling a shift in, in organization. So you know, I think like the, the evolution of a corporation onto the internet, on chain. I think that's where, where DAOs live and, and thrive. So uh, yeah, decentralized, ideally, many are on their way to do that, just like many of the best crypto projects, uh, autonomous. You know, I think that's sort of free from maybe certain jurisdictions or limitations, uh, ideally pushing towards more um, smart contract based. Though I think many still have uh, you know, many humans in the loop and we'll see how that, that process sort of moves forward as technology and, and the concepts uh, evolve. And yeah, organization. I think that's really where the the big value of DAOs uh, come to play, where we have, you know, the the participation of you know hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of people, regardless of jurisdiction, regardless of education, language, that are able to participate towards common goals. So uh, I like the idea of of DAOs being, as I said, the evolution of the corporation. We've went from you know craftspeople to guilds to the joint stock corporation to DAO's on the internet, and uh, it's, it's uh, an on-chain, native organization to the internet that I think is gonna unleash a, a lot of interesting opportunities and challenges over the next little while. Kyla, how would you think about that? How would you build on that?
3: Yeah. So I guess like adding on there, uh, I wrote a piece about DAOs a little bit ago. And I think the one quote that really stuck out to me from something that I read was companies are a collection of legal contracts and DAOs are a collection of smart contracts. So I think DAOs are sort of automating away, like how you would think of like HR maybe, maybe HR needs to exist still, but like some of the operational aspects of a corporation and making them a little bit more efficient. So I think it's just a way for communities to own governance versus there being like five guys in a suit somewhere in a boardroom. So it's just a more decentralized way of of operating as a company or as a fund or as an art collector. There's a lot of different applications to DAOs too, which is really cool. Um, A DAO could be anything from like you and three friends on a Discord server to a very, very in-depth like um, pleaser DAO, like something like that. So it could be really um, complicated as well.
1: So is a key concept that it's an economic... Entity. Like if you just have a Discord group or you just have a group chat, can that be a DAO? Or does it become a DAO once there is crypto involved or there's you know some economic relationship involved? Kyla, can you expand on, on that some more?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, it exists on the blockchain. Like, I think that's like a bare minimum requirement for this sort of thing. But I think that it can structurally be like a lot of different things. Like it doesn't have to be sort of this traditional like corporation that we think of it today, um, where it's like very hierarchical. It's very, very flat. So I think that's like the biggest difference. But yeah, I do think there has to be some element of crypto because there has to be um, some element of incentive to the corporation as well or to the DAO as well. So that's kind of how you build out that that base. Yeah, I think
2: Kyla's uh, explanation, thinking, you know, that an organization run on smart contracts rather than maybe traditional legal contracts is, is the important definition here. Um, and, you know, core to the operation of smart contracts are incentives. And, you know, incentives often have financial sort of uh, implications to it. So while I think you can have, you know, many organizations that might not be fully out there to be profit motivated, uh, there's definitely an economic incentive that's kind of core to, to the coordination mechanism that, that's inherent to DAOs.
0: How would you compare this to something like a cooperative um, historically? So this is sort of um, where instead of the shareholder structure um, that you see where in, in a given jurisdiction you had uh, the the kind of the, the company that... Really was there to maximise shareholder value. You know, cooperatives have existed throughout society, especially in the global south, quite consistently, where communities have self-organised in an informal way. Is, is that a model that has some resemblance to what we're seeing? And, and what are the main differences, if any?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. I think uh, th- there's a, a lot of the early movement within DAOs is inspired by cooperatives, and and you know, it's a big throughline uh, in, in conversation today. I think one of the big limiting factors with cooperatives traditionally has been the, the challenge of, of raising funds and, and financing them. And I think that's one of the, the unique things here that, that at least uh, DAOs with tokens can sort of solve for, uh, where there is this crossover between, I guess, member ownership, participation, voice, and the ability to you know generate, I guess, book value or DAO value. So uh, you know the, this idea of coming together to cooperate, to create some value that's going to Be a multiple of that value in the future and you know being needing to bootstrap that it's usually a a much slower process and so tokens kind of bring a lot of that value into the present that can be invested and paid uh used for for compensation uh, that can really accelerate the growth of of these organizations so i think it's uh yeah the the evolution of the, the cooperative when done right
0: Yeah, that's interesting, Jess, because I think one of the things that stood out to me was when I looked at your latest cohort and some of the use cases and communities they're going for, and if I contrast Seed Club Cohort 3 with the Y Combinator Winter Batch, like the types of problems these organizations are solving seem to be fundamentally different. So I often talk on the show about the boomer banker that sits on my shoulder going, well, that sounds lovely, but what problems are they materially going to solve? Could you bring this to life for me and, and maybe just give one or two examples of the types of DAOs, you're seeing uh, Kyler, and, and you're seeing Jess as well.
3: I think for me, like it's it, the ones that I tend to pay attention to are sort of like the grant DAOs. So DAOs that are like getting together and um, a pool of money and they like pull those out to other projects like I think those are some of the more interesting ones um, and then I think like investment dolls are really interesting so companies that are getting a fund together and doing more like company stage investing and then there's also like collector dolls which are curation of NFTs um, of different art projects so I think those are like three of the main ones that I pay attention to in like my little circle of the universe um, but just uh, what have you been seeing
2: oh we see lots it's really exciting
3: yeah I'm sure yeah
2: <laughs> I, so I think like it's Important to underscore the, the size and scale of some of these things. So, like the, the grants giving DAOs that Kyle was mentioning, they have billions of dollars in their treasuries that they are in charge of, and you know, the community is is uh, coordinating around figuring out how how to make best use of it. So, th- these are very large organizations. Um, and I think what's very interesting over the last few months is really to see how varied the types of DAOs that are coming out into the world are. And so, you know, for C Club, we're we're sort of our, our core insight is that. Uh, communities uh, are where value will accrue in Web3. And so our focus really is on these community DAOs. Um, they look maybe closer to a, a great project to have a look at is friends with benefits, which is like a, a social discord, but that doesn't quite do it justice. You have to hold a certain amount of tokens to, to be a part of it. Um, they have you know thousands of members who are out doing amazing things on the internet and just received an investment from A16Z valuing it at $100 million. And so uh, very substantial, meaningful organizations out here. And uh, I think the, the insight there is that there's a lot of value when people come together on the internet and that uh, the not only is there a business model that maybe underpins the value of a, a club like Friends with Benefits, but there's a lot of upside potential through derivative projects, spin-outs, et You know, You were talking about cooperatives earlier. One of the projects that came through our last cohort was called Ampled. Ampled is a... Uh, music cooperative that brings sort of a, a Patreon-style crowdfunding tool to musicians. And they've engaged pretty deeply with this idea of a community token uh, to, to try to sort of uh, solve some of the challenges that go with bootstrapping new cooperatives, which is, you know, founder burnout, this, this idea of having a hard time sort of being able to capture or recognize the value that their individual contributors are making. Uh, and I think there's a, you know, a whole host of interesting intersections, I guess, between this DAO movement and, and the cooperative movement. And we're really excited that Austin and the Ample team are are pushing forward with that. But with this next cohort, we have you know, uh, media companies that were unable to really uh, make it in in web two that are sort of relaunching in web three, we have, uh, you know, an activist creator, Pussy Riot, who's joining to sort of bring together uh, their community that's been around, you know, the internet and the world for for decades now and and really trying to refocus them on some of the activist work that they're doing. Um, We have a number of different NFT communities and uh, uh, one that I'm very excited about is called Only One, which is a climate focused DAO. So. Can we leverage web3 can we leverage nfts can we bring you know their real world supporters in, in, into um, this community and what can happen when we actually all sort of align around this goal of generating a sustainable revenue source for some of the work that's the only one community has been doing for for many years so it's a, a big variety of, of potentials out there and um, i think it's Piece is going to be hard for many people to wrap their head around is that these aren't going to look like traditional companies. They're not going after targeted use cases. They're not going after, you know, the testing a hypothesis and building a, pro- a platform around it. What they're doing is trying to bring people together on a common mission that are recognizing that mission and, and, and giving people ownership in that mission and community through tokens. And then together they're collaborating to identify issues, to solve problems. And so I think what you'll see is like what, in Web two we have. St- a couple of founders come together, try to build top, uh, tools or platforms, and then build a community around it. What you'll see in Web three is that people come together, form community, and that community will build tools and platforms that go solve some of their problems and, and probably problems that are uh, facing others in the internet as well.
1: So that last point, I think, is is super important. And it's kind of what I was asking myself: is like if you're an entrepreneur and you have an idea, you want to solve a problem. You know, why would you you know start a DAO instead of start a company? And it, it sounds like, if I heard you correctly, there are different types of problems and they tend to be probably bigger problems or they have a vision that you know, they've recognized they can't solve as a company, but still someone has to do the initial work to get it off the ground. And so do DAOs always start as DAOs or are there companies that can evolve to become DAOs? Like, how do you think about this concept of progressive decentralization? Uh, so, maybe Kyla, how, how do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, like some of the DAOs that I'm part of, they're companies first and then DAOs second. So, I think it's just a way for them to incentivize the community to get involved because the community can vote on different like governance proposals, like different things like that. Um, so, I think it's more so like, how do you get your people involved, like how do you sort of flatten that traditional corporate structure and and really get people involved in like the governance of a community and get them in the behind the scenes? Because everybody's incentivized by like belonging. And so I think like to Jess's point about community, like this is sort of like how we build community in this like very decentralized world is you have to do it in this sort of like tokenized blockchain structure. So I think that's like the the biggest difference is you can have a corporation and you can have a DAO, like they don't have to exist differently, Um, but you can sort of combine them to Get the full benefit of both at this present time
2: yeah yeah so much to get into there so on the point of like the, the type of companies that, that are problems people are, are solving i think like the there's a great adage like the first time founders worry about products second time founders worry about distribution and i think DAOs are a distribution or solution to, to distribution in many ways and so uh i think what you'll increasingly see is is individuals and other organizations DAOs coming together to form DAOs. Um, to launch products and, and solve problems because of the the power of the distribution and aligned incentives that come with uh, many communities forming together. Um, it, it, as far as the the, the corporation like does not start off as a company move to to DAO? I think increasingly we'll see that less and less. I think it's a byproduct of the the regulatory system that we have right now. There is a lot of uncertainty, and I think that's really important to highlight here. Like the DAOs live in a a legal limbo, and we, we really don't have clarity on on what structures they fall under, um, You know, there's securities laws that are at place, there's um, limitation of liability that that does or doesn't exist depending on how we set that up. So there's a, a lot of thoughtfulness that still needs to go into, into setting these uh, organizations up. But I, I do think increasingly what we'll see is um, you know DAO, native DAOs formed, uh, it's far less uh, barrier and friction to do so today than ever before. It really, truly can be individuals on a Discord coming together, launching a multi-sig that all gives them a signing authority uh, over over a shared bank account, and uh, they're off to their races. So the lack of friction will probably lead to, to just many more, uh, as we like to call them, YOLO DAOs out on the internet.
0: I love that idea as well that... Um the backward compatibility thing is is a problem and it's a known bug with DAOs in that like uh, legally they probably look a little bit like an unregistered partnership, but actually how you structure those as not-for-profit, non-profits, are they for profit, it really depends on what they're trying to achieve. You've got projects that are building open source software that are uh, kind of out there um, getting communities to vote on how does the open source software move and have, have a stake in open source software. like That didn't exist before. An open source project always had a funding issue, whereas now we've almost got a business model for open source projects and internet infrastructure in a way that isn't reliant on you know, Google just granting somebody the money. This is This is kind of a different model. And that's just one slice, as you say. People are trying to solve all kinds of different things for it. I'm reminded of um, the work by Seth Godin on Tribes, one of the great marketing books from from a decade or more ago, where he said people are using the internet to find other people like them. Maybe you like red hats and long beards. You can find everybody with a red hat and a long beard on the internet and go hang out with them. Maybe you're really activated by uh, climate. Maybe you want to figure out what growth means. Maybe you really want to build better open source software. You can find that community but with a DAO, you can own a piece of that community, and I think that's really exciting—that that didn't really exist before. So, as as we kind of come towards this this section, then, what about you know, sort of. Trust. How does how does like the how does trust work in these communities? Because I'm probably going to come along. Maybe I have to buy some tokens to get into this DAO. You know, I, I find this community interesting, but some of them can be quite expensive. Like, um, I Kylie, you mentioned friends with benefits. What the ticket price there is nearly eight thousand dollars to to get in the door these days. Why would somebody pay that? What what what? And would they trust who they're paying?
3: Yeah. So I think like. It's tough, right? So I I still sit at the intersection of like traditional finance and crypto. So I'm a little bit like on the outside of crypto still. Uh, still learning, but I think like an important notion here is that organizations move at the speed of trust. So I think there is a tendency to like there's a lot of FOMO in crypto and, and sort of people like wanting to get on the bandwagon. So I think a lot of the DAOs are very. Um, insightful and like very very good, but I do think that there's a lot of like uh, momentum behind some of this stuff. So it's, you just have to like really zoom out and be like, okay, uh, what's going on? Like, what are they trying to accomplish? Is this something that I'm aligned with? And the reason that they're getting more expensive is because they're getting more venture money. Um, so it, it's just like it's sort of that feedback loop. So I think like the biggest thing is you have to really evaluate it. You really have to like talk to people. You really have to understand sort of what you're getting into. But I mean, it's, that's with any organization. Um, is sort of like how do you trust something? How do you make sure that it's credible? Is you have you have to, you have to do your research, do your own research. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It seems like the, the network and the talent going into some of these communities becomes a, a, a really huge advantage that they have. And when I just think about it from like a recruiting perspective, you know, you hear about, you know, engineers who are, you know, some of them, you know, 18 years old that are building these incredible crypto protocols and products, and they're not going to work for companies. You know, it's, it's like they roam in guilds and they go DAO to DAO and they have a group of people that they like working with. And so it seems like there's a caliber of talent that they want these opportunities to be able to show up, participate, add value, you know, get upside in that value through owning a token. And then either they stay or they leave and they go to another project. So is this also a, a new talent model, particularly for top engineers in crypto?
2: You know it's extremely hard to find talented solidity engineers today. Uh, very very hard, and the best people are being recruited by the best projects on a you know seemingly daily basis. And I think a good example of this recently was a, a DAO formed uh, called Party DAO. So Party DAO has built a product called Party Bid that allows individuals to come together to sort of pool their their ETH to bid on large NFT auctions. The idea was like, can you go? Uh, compete with whales? Can the crowd compete with whales? And, and uh, whales being you know, the, the big buyers of NFTs with lots of Ethereum. And so I think the uh, what, what happened there was, there was a, it went from a tweet to uh, literally an 18-year-old kid in Toronto making the first smart contract to a crowdfund to a DAO being set up to a product in a matter of months. And the notable thing there was that the people who came to together to actually go build this project were some of the top developers, designers, community leaders within the space. And they wanted to come together to work on something interesting with a great story with their friends or with other people who they saw as being extremely talented. And so you know I think these these... Organizations are going to have such a, a gravitational pull to the best and brightest uh, for those projects that are at least you know interesting and novel uh, and supported by other folks who are seen as the best and brightest. Uh, and you know, the, there's a core team there of about eight that are you know earning great money, creating a lot of value. The 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 DAO is profitable. And I know a number of founders who've been trying to recruit each of those eight people into their own companies and have not been able to do it for a number of months because these folks just make so much money doing their own thing on the internet. But this DAO, this project was enough to, to bring them together to collaborate. So I think like the, the natural way that most of these, you know, when we as an organization look at building product, it's less about us trying to hire somebody in-house to go and, and build that. It's more about how can we bring some of these squads or, or guilds or crews together uh, to help us build something at a level that we probably wouldn't be able to do on our own.
0: I think that's super exciting and, and we'll come back and unpack that just after the break, but we do need to pause um, to thank our sponsors. So we'll be back very, very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like Fintech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at Visa.com forward slash crypto.
2: Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve and Soldo and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a pulse demo.
0: Thank you so much to our sponsors. Welcome back to the show. In the second half, we're taking a look at a little bit more of the use cases and just picking up on something Jess said there about almost the future of work. I mean, uh, Kylo, are you seeing that as well where, you know, people are flitting between projects and and doing what interests them? Because in the world of crypto, you know, they're not working necessarily for the salary. They're working for what Mm -hmm. motivates them.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, Ego Capital just released a pretty good article about this today called Self-Sovereign Symbiosis. And it kind of talks about like talent allocation and how it's almost like unlimited, like infinite talent in, in the crypto space and in, in the world in general, because now you have people who are able to like log online and they can sort of work for many, as many dollars as they want, right? So I think it's really interesting and in sort of like the decentralization of work. I just, I think there's like a little bit of friction with how it could move forward forward. Um, I think that there's a lot of different projects that people are working on and, and it's so early still that there's going to be a lot of momentum behind that. But I do think it's interesting to think about like how work will be structured in the future. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I do think that there is like an un- Almost unlimited, theoretically, right? Depending on engineers' uh, talent allocation, it's just how does that get, actually get allocated?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting problem. Um, Kai, you and I were talking about um, the idea of chaos and D-Hawk, which has a little bit of a visa twist to it. But do you want to you want to talk about chaos? Um, because I think like that um, you red pilled me fully with that. I had no idea. Remind everybody who D-Hawk is and what a chaos was or his concepts of one.
1: You you had to do it, Simon. You, you had to just just turn this down the D-Hawk rabbit hole. But uh, so Dehawk is is the the founder of, of Visa, and you know Dehawk is is just this incredible thinker uh, that I highly recommend reading and, and listening to. And you know he coined this term that's called a a chaotic organization. Uh, and so he has a book called One for Many: Rise of the Chaotic Organization about the early days of Visa, and it was this concept of, you can have these new models of organization that blend chaos and order, and that you have to have this this, harmony between competition and cooperation. And so Visa was designed kind of as this almost like a B2B DAO where it was an association of banks who competed with each other. You know, they each issued their own cards, but they cooperated with each other around the standards and the rules and the principles that enabled this global network and, and transfer of, of value. And so I think this, this term of a chaoti in this concept is now something that we're seeing, you know, 60 years later in DAOs that is coming into other industries it's coming into education and you know dehawk talked a lot about you know the future of government and basically how in the information age we need different models for institutions you can't have an institution that has the same structure as in the industrial age and so it's really exciting that that crypto is is just starting to experiment with and you know really test out some of the ideas that dehawk had you know in the the 60s and, and 70s
0: now, I love that point of the chaos, the because it, it's probably a better definition for what a DAO is With in, in terms of, of what that is. It, people sort of come together uh, and make things happen. Uh, Jess, I, I want to ask you about things like um, snapshot and on-chain voting and tooling and how people can get involved in DAOs. Because, uh, I, I mean, I've found that as I've grazed up near a few DAOs, those communities tend to be quite welcoming. And before you know it, you're voting on governance proposals and um, in 15 of the things, like. There's just a gravity there that's kind of interesting. So what are some of the things I could do in a DAO, and, and what are the ways people can participate if they're listening now and thinking, what, what do I actually do with one of these things?
2: Yeah, so I think that one of the interesting challenges and opportunities is that sort of onboarding piece. How do we get somebody like Simon, who's grazed up next to a great project like C Club, and, and pull them in to, to be useful and and have a sense of ownership and, and hopefully earn some of our, our DAO tokens? Uh, and of course, it's a a big open question. You know, for for an organization like C Club, you know, we're more of a permission DAO, so we only have sixty two members, though we have a much larger community, and we're in the process of expanding our, our membership. And so, uh, we look for ways to uh, identify really great potential collaborators and and bring them in to to do work with some of our projects. There are a number of DAOs out there that have bounty boards that are available. So if you go to forefront uh, dot news, there's a, a very clear bounty board that you can do to, you know, things you can do to uh, earn tokens as like your first step into the community. index.coop uh, co-op is another product like this. I do um, sort of index products in, in crypto that uh, have a very clear onboarding path. Uh, but I, I think like it's actually a really interesting challenge that we're all trying to solve this sort of, uh, I think somebody called it DAO HR before. Uh, it looks a lot less like here's a job application and you know please submit your resume and much more about how do I create uh, pathways for people to lean in and to sort of prove themselves on some level uh, prior to maybe being brought further deep, you know, deeper into the organization. So I almost think of like there's concentric circles where you have your. Uh, you know, the, the majority of your token holders or members are probably very passive. They're there for the party. They're there for the live stream. Uh, you have maybe uh, another small percentage, maybe nine, 10% that are leaning in. They're voting on things like snapshot. Snapshot is sort of the, the way that we endow recognize governance. So if, uh, it recognizes the number of tokens that you have within your wallet and gives you that number of votes on important decisions like um, you know, how much should I get paid to, to run C-Club? Um, you know, proposals uh, are put forth, and that's how uh, funds are allocated. And snapshot is how we we vote there. Um, and so I think there's uh, you know a, a smaller circle of people in, in each of these DAOs that are actually doing most of the work on a day to day basis. Um, at C Club, we have a core contributor team of of four, um, and then a broader group of about eight or ten that are more part time that are part of that core crew, and then a, a much larger uh, group of uh, community members and, and collaborators. Um, and so I think those. What, what's interesting is that the sort of the the mode of work and the, the depth and the intensity of work changes quite a bit. We have some members that are you know deeply involved on a regular basis. Others come in for specific tasks. Um, so I think the, the the opportunity for somebody to get involved into DAOs has never been greater. I think there's a lot you know it's super accessible. There's a lot of opportunity out there. But I think it's going to change quite a bit in the coming you know months as we get a little bit better at you know, identifying talent, matching that talent with the the, the open opportunities. But whatever you're interested, I'd say like you need to focus on what you're interested in and uh, show up into that discord and start engaging. And it's kind of awkward truly today, but I think the upside is, is worth uh, facing that awkwardness.
1: It's interesting for me to think about, you know, barriers to entry to starting an economic entity. And you know, if you go back, you know, 20 or 30 years, yeah, I would imagine if yeah, you know, I, I haven't done it, but if if you wanted to start a company in, in in the '90s, imagine you're making several in-person trips somewhere. You're probably using the post office pretty regularly. You're probably walking into an in-person bank. I, I would expect, uh, and then over time, you know, starting a company you know has become incrementally easier. You know, you have Stripe Atlas and other services where you know you can create LLCs and you know Delaware C corps. But you still don't see that many teenagers and, and young people just you know they have an idea and you know before you know it there's an LLC and Del or C corp and articles of incorporation and so it seems like that's that's still a barrier and so is one implication of DAOs like every group chat the pace at which it can become an entity that can coordinate and have capital and execute you know some vision with that capital is that now as as simple as yeah. A group chat and a, a multi sig. And Kyla, how, how do you think about that? And, and what does it mean for financial inclusion if we make it that much easier for people to coordinate?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose theoretically uh, everything could sort of be that way. I don't know if everything like needs to be that way, but uh, theoretically it could be. I think that in terms of financial inclusion, it could be really important and just giving people different access to different tools as well as like different modes of collaboration. Like I think that one thing that I've been really spending a lot of time thinking about is sort of like the individualistic society that we've had since the Industrial Revolution, like it's been like single factory factory worker, like sort of the knowledge worker. And we've never really leaned into like a new communal style of governance, which is why I think it's like kind of sticky to imagine that, oh, like people like, you know, people vote on justice salary. Like that, that, that's just something that seems like bizarre to us, I think, or to me, like just listening. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of evolution um, and a lot of like just adjusting to a new normal that we're going to have now that we're not like in this industrial society anymore. We're more so in, like this online decentralized like web 3 world. So I don't think everything is gonna be a DAO, but I think the opportunity that it could be is like super important to how we proceed.
1: The concept of of shareholder governance, which you know, I don't think I've ever actively participated, you know, in stocks that I've owned in the past. I can't say I've ever like made my vote. And I, I don't really have a great understanding of the exact type of decisions that shareholder voting covers. And so is Dow voting just this more granular, detailed, p- potentially more fun and impactful way to help an organization navigate than just shareholder voting, particularly if it's done by mostly institutional investors?
2: So Dow voting right now is really about uh, credibility and authority. So it's about like what making sure the will of the community is, is being recognized on chain and then uh, enacted. And so it's, there's a much deeper need to get the community involved. It sort of uh, indicates the will, I guess, of of the many. That's not to say that we have massive, you know, engagement rates in most votes. Like many of these are still, there's a a small percentage of people who are most active in in these things. And so I think it is a known problem within within the DAO world of like, you know, is this gonna turn into shareholder voting where it is just the largest holders that are voting all the time? Or, you know, how do we actually make sure that people have a a voice in these organizations? But there's wonderful, you know, work being done around, Different voting styles, so quadratic voting being one of them, which allows for uh, individuals to it sort of smooths out the amount of impact that a, that a large token holder might have, where every additional vote on you know a, a proposal costs more tokens, if you will, or, or more vote, more votes. So I think there's some interesting work to be done here, but uh, yeah, with, without a doubt, there's a lot more fun. Uh, point people to a DAO called Shark DAO, which is out there trying to collect nouns. None of this is gonna make sense if you are not deep in the crypto world, but if you pop your head into the SharkDAO Discord, which I encourage everybody to do, you'll see this chaos in order and a group of people who are using voting as a way of building legitimacy within the decisions that the, the leaders are, are uh, pushing forward. And so it's sort of this yeah, emergent property of governance that gives legitimacy for the decisions that these uh, often a smaller group of people are, are enacting in a practical sense.
0: And I think that spirit of transparency is the consistent theme. This space is um, experimental. Like, I, I, I think just what you're saying there is nobody has the right answers but to to Kai's point with an AGM like some institution somewhere is probably voting with the board and if they're not then they're trying to change who the CEO is and like that that's just so so far away from your day-to-day life and then at the opposite end of the spectrum I could jump into a DAO and vote on every decision that they want to make but when I vote on that that decision is recorded with a cryptographic signature on a public record like a blockchain which, which kind of creates a different um, different perspective on, on some of these things. And who knows how that plays out and who knows if the community gets involved. But it's, it is it is different to the AGM. And it's, it could be everything from a group of people organizing, you know, where's soccer practice going to be next week, right through to how do we move this billions of dollars we have in treasury for the best interests of the community and the token holders and everything in between all, all of that. And that's, that's kind of exciting, but I do like the... Um, uh, do like the the combo on that. Kyla, as you sort of look at this with like the, the fintech slash TradFi lens, like surely there's worry about how all this is going to get regulated. You know, the SEC is making moves. Like what are your perspectives on all of that?
3: Yeah, I mean, Gary Gensler kind of came out last week and was a little uh um, regulatory feeling around this kind of stuff. Um, I think that like there's too much money in it to like really have like very, very detrimental regulation. Um, I do think that they're like, um- the way that I sort of think about the SEC is like they their main goal is investor protection. And for them, like I think there's sort of like Gary taught class, Gary Gensler taught classes at MIT around Bitcoin. Like it's not that he doesn't understand the product. It's just like, how do you actually create parameters for uh, investors who want to get involved in crypto? And how can the SEC sort of like help with that onboarding process? So I do think that we are going to see more regulation pop up, especially because it's becoming like it's such an important conversation. You know what would happen with the legislation? Um, in, in the bill a few months ago where they like it was just an amendment and all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, everybody in crypto is going to be taxed the wrong way and that could be incredibly detrimental. So I think the a lot of the worry is like the regulation itself is going to be harmful to crypto, especially because there's not a lot of people in um, maybe positions of power who are making these regulatory statements who kind of know what the space is about. So I just think it's going to be another learning curve for the space, but I do think there is going to be increasing.
2: As a builder in the space, we're we're, we're, we're really looking forward to, uh, to clarity on the regulatory front. You know, it's a, a big uncertainty. It's a big uh, weight on the shoulders of those that are engaging here. And we want a path that allows us to sort of lean into the full benefits of the technology, to create the value and opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, put the ownership of the, the networks that are coordinating our financial and economic futures back in the hands of the individuals that are uh, building it and using it and creating value on it. And so this lack of regulatory clarity is, is not what anybody wants. I do think that we're going to be seeing a, a lot more of that in the, in the uh, or more of a guess, noise made uh, in the coming months. But my hope is that it creates a pathway for you know, more organizations like, like ours to, to sort of uh, to thrive also brings up some really interesting challenges as you know I am calling in from a very rainy uh, Vancouver in Canada I do not live in the United States why should the SEC regulate what I do as an individual if I'm not even within your country now I know that's probably not a thing the SEC actually would care about generally but you know where where our members are in you know the UK and in China and in you know South America and in, in Eastern Europe uh, these are organizations that are very international. And so I think for the U.S., there's a huge opportunity here to provide clear regulations that would, uh, you know, incentivize and align uh, an organization like ours to go land our, our entity in a place like, you know, Delaware or, or Wyoming rather than the Cayman Islands or, or something like that. So a big opportunity, I think, uh, at hand. So these
1: are our global online organizations that are well capitalized with It sounds like billions of dollars in crypto in their treasuries. How does that end up coming into the real world or coming at least off-chain? It seems like there's this concept of there's the on-chain world and on-chain treasuries, on-chain governance. Most of us live off-chain. Are there DAOs that are bridging this where the billions of dollars held on-chain? is going to be spent for something in the real world or will it stay this separate it's just a, a different ecosystem where everything's online and on chain that doesn't interact with the real world
2: yeah so i think i mean i get paid by c club dow and that hits my bank account and i get to pay for my mortgage and food and all sorts of fun you know things i get to do in a rainy vancouver uh, so it's hitting the real world through individual contributors right now I think the the lack of legal clarity around the, the structure of these organizations is the biggest barrier where uh, you know if you do not have a legal entity for your organization, you can't have a bank account, you can't enter into contracts, you can't uh, hold a lease. And so right now those are being pushed off into individual contributors. Um, you know as organi- you know as, as clarity comes to the legal structures of these organizations, I think that's going to really be a, a big bridge to a, a lot more of this capital flowing into the real world. Uh, we're seeing organizations, you know, there's a, a DAO called Bright Moments Gallery in uh, Venice Beach that has a an NFT art gallery. They do live minting of NFTs, which is a phenomenal experience. And, you know, they're really trying to pioneer this idea of a, a DAO that has a, a network of, of NFT art galleries around the world. But even to this day, it's still a challenge um, to be able to actually hold on to those leases, like which entities actually holding on to those. And when you step, step into you know larger organizations uh, like you know, the Ave or Uni, Uniswap grants teams, like, it becomes an even bigger challenge where you have billions of dollars locked away, and, and there's not really a mechanism to sort of engage with more traditional organizations. So hoping for more clarity around the legal structuring side of things, and, and that's going to really re- reduce the barrier between the on-chain and off-chain world.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There are these multi-billion dollar businesses that aren't businesses. Therefore, how does somebody bank them? But there's also the emergence of like the service DAO. I'm interested, um, we've only got a couple of minutes left to kind of explore that topic. There was a great tweet I saw, and I'll try and reference it in the show notes because I can't remember who said it, that during the Web2 era, the sort of the value chain of the company almost looks like fractals. There's a vertical SaaS for just about everything. There's a vertical SaaS for accounting. There's a vertical SaaS for payroll. There's a vertical SaaS for HR. So we saw like the, the value chain of a traditional 1960s business is now done by all of these specialists. Do we see something similar in DAOs where they all sort of help each other out and there's one that specializes in that off-chain to on-chain world and, and other bits and pieces? Or how does that play out and what does the future look like? Maybe a couple of minutes from each of you on, on where we're going
3: yeah so i think like like i I, the way that i think about it is like baseline like uh, all like operating system DAOs are sort of like the backbone of all the other DAOs. so it's kind of interesting just to hear from different people like uh, across the different structures like how many different arms there are to crypto like even though it's so decentralized like there's so many different um things that have to funnel in so I, i do think that like in in this landscape it's not sort of like competitive is how you would think of like traditional finance institutions it's like oh this is my intellectual property like i'm not going to share it with you like there's a whole like DAO service model where you have like token services you have governance you have treasury management and all of that bridges out into it like a different DAO. so i think that there's a lot of like interconnectivity which is really cool i think for me so sort of like referencing the more philosophical idea that i was talking about earlier is like how do we understand this as people because i do think it's a little antithetical to how we kind of operate as humans it's like well what does it mean to like really it, it's not it's antithetical it's as to how we've operated for the past like 100 years. It's like, I don't really know what community means and we don't really know what community means in like the online space. So I think like DAOs and sort of crypto in general are solving that problem and being like, this is how you interact online. This is how you sort of have like these community governed entities, right? So I think that this is just going to be, there's probably gonna be a little headwinds just in terms of adaptation, like people understanding like what it all means. Um, That's been like the biggest problem for me as a content creator is like, how do you explain some of these concepts? How do I understand something? these concepts um because they are a little bit complex so i think that's going to be the biggest thing is like people understanding people onboarding but i think once all that happens like there's a lot of um, positive energy behind it yeah
2: it's gonna be very interesting to see how the incentives play out here for right now it's um you know there's this huge value in cooperation uh you know if we are going to go out and build a a new product that we know that a number of our are sort of um Other DAOs within our space could use it, just makes so much sense for us to come together and form a new organization that is pull some resources and and work together to to go create something that's much bigger. Um, I don't know if that changes. I think, you know, as as more people come into the space or as these organizations um, fragment as they they move forward, I think there's probably some upper limit as far as the the size and and effectiveness of these organizations. You know, at C Club, we are, are very purposely trying to keep our core DAO, you know, small and effective and, 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 collaborate with and, and and you know work with the 17 projects we've backed so far and the, the 15 that we're working with through this next cohort. And it, so I think like the there's still a lot of room to grow and, and that cooperation is still going to be key. Does that change at some point? You know, I don't know. Uh, but I do think that it, that what we're seeing is like the smartest people who have sort of some unique insight are probably going to the, the friction in being able to spin off and start their own thing is essentially zero. And so we're probably going to have these the fractals, I think as he called it, um, be the, the predominant way that we're engaging, and how that fits into sort of this token landscape, where we're sort of uh, you know using tokens and as like the shelling point for belief in an idea or a product, um, and as that splinters off, what what happens to those core you know uh, organizations that are maybe the, the formative ones? I don't know, but it should be interesting to see.
1: Kyla, to to your earlier point, you know around just cooperation and, and communities. That, it seems like that there's this potential for DAO to DAO collaboration much more seamlessly than company to company, particularly if you have this overlapping network where you have groups of individuals who might be in six different DAOs. You don't really have that many companies that there are six individuals that are, (laughs) there are people that are part of six different companies. It seems like if you're a part of these different communities, the likelihood of those communities working together increases significantly. So how do you think about DAO to DAO collaboration?
3: Yeah, there is a funny tweet uh, that was like, Web2, B2B, like, Web3, DAO to DAO. So I thought, like, I think that it's just interesting, right, like, so one thing that, um, so I kind of touched on it earlier. It's like, it's not this like sort of gatekeepy, like, oh, you know, you can't have our information. There's still like an element of that because you know some of the stuff is IP, you have to protect your intellectual property to some degree, but it's not like, oh, if, if you win, like I'll lose. Like, it doesn't seem like this winner takes all sort of environments. Like it's very, very community based. It's like, we all have to move the needle together. And I think the reason that crypto operates this way versus like, mm, you know, the more traditional world is because crypto has had to be like such a collective entity for so long like it's not even until like two years ago really before this before it got into a bull market like crypto was really having a hard time like you know 2015 to like 2018 and even before that like everybody made fun of it Um, so I think that crypto is just um, natively very communal and I think that's going to give it a lot of power moving forward because it isn't like oh I'm gonna push you down so I can stand taller it's like I'm gonna drag you along because if we all win um, we
0: all win. I would love to keep that point going but we are out of time unfortunately and I could talk about DAOs and communities forever but I think speaking to that you know if you're listening to this and you think oh this all sounds like crap I think the one thing we can recommend is go look at one of the downs that have been mentioned today and, and brush up against one of those community edges and, and see how welcoming it is. I've been blown away in the last six months just by some of the welcoming nature, some of the talent Some you meet some of the most exciting talented people as soon as you brush up against this space um, and that's Hugely, hugely exciting. So lots of things to solve, but I think people have open minds to all of that. Listen, if people do want to find out more about you and what you're up to, uh, where do they go to do that? Kyla, let's start with you.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I'm very on Twitter. Uh, So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at KylaScan. My newsletter is kyla.substack.com and I'm on TikTok as kai.now, but all of my socials are in my bio on Twitter.
2: Brilliant. Uh, how about you, Jess? Yeah, I think we're, we all live on Twitter too much. Uh, I'm that tall guy on Twitter, and you can find C-Club at cclub.xyz. Fantastic. And Kai?
1: At Kai Sheffield on Twitter and visa.com/slash crypto.
2: And you'll
0: find me at S Y Taylor on Twitter or at 11FS.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We have so much in the works and we're excited to be talking about this with you again. Uh, if you can't wait till the next episode, we have many previous episodes. So just give a scroll uh, through that podcast client and go find what you need to get immersed in the world of crypto. And if you like the show, remember to leave us a review. It helps us make the show. Go better and it helps others find it uh, thank you so much and goodbye for now